Good morning. Today we have Psalm 8. Today's psalm is a meditation on identity. It deals with those top shelf questions. Who am I? Why do I exist? What's my place in this world? And even though you may not have thought of those questions this week, that does not mean that you didn't try to find the answer. We live in a world right now that is absolutely obsessed with identity. We live inside of this new social experiment where old ways of understanding who we are have been thrown aside and our existence is now summed up with sentences that begin with, well, I identify as, and you fill in the blank. Our world is obsessed with identity. Who are you? What are you? Why do you exist? What is your worth? What is your value? Prove it. We see a world that is desperately searching for significance. And the effect of living in a world that's obsessed with identities that we're pressured constantly to conform to the values and the principles of the surrounding world, pressured to conform and prescribe all sorts of identities for who you should be, what the good life looks like, how your life should look, which means we're also constantly reminded of ways that we do not measure up. If there's one thing that this world is, it is absolutely merciless in trying to expose all the ways that you fall short and communicate to you that you are just not enough. Boys and girls, students, how about you? I know you feel all sorts of pressure in your life. You feel pressure to conform to your peers, to look and act and be a certain way. You hear conversations around you about identifying in your sexuality. And maybe that's confusing to you. And yet you know if you don't answer it in the right way, you'll be ridiculed. You'll be made fun of. Or maybe you feel the pressure already to select a course for your life, to already have everything figured out and to begin working towards that career when sometimes all you want to do is just go get some ice cream with your friends. Men, how about you? There's pressure to be the type of man that doesn't need anyone or anything. You are to be master of your world. You need to be an alpha dog. So if you feel incompetent, you better not say anything about it. Just hide it. If you feel overwhelmed, just suck it up. Because weakness isn't welcome in this world. And in the end, you are prescribed an identity that is to, for you to be flat, two-dimensional, and uncomplex. Women, how about you? I'm not exactly an insider in this category. I get it. But... The headlines do tell a story, and it's not that hard to imagine. In some ways, I feel for you especially. Because if you have a career, then why do you hate your kids? And if you stay at home with your kids, then what do you do with all your time? And you need to celebrate body positivity and all of your imperfections and just love who you are. But at the same time, you're constantly paraded with 
images of celebrities that lost all that pregnancy weight like five minutes after they gave birth. Why? Because that's what the world really celebrates. In the end, you just are your reflection in the mirror. Oh, and when those kids get older, make sure that raising them appears as effortless as breathing. Dinner's always ready at 5 p.m. with farm-fresh ingredients or else you're going to kill them. And go ahead and be an influencer while you're at it. In the end, your identity is to be a goddess called Supermom. Maybe for those of you who are older, you feel like this modern world just communicates to you that you have aged out of significance. Retirement has rendered you a non-contributor, which makes you not considered. Because this world doesn't value age and life experience. No, this world's for the young and the energetic, and so your identity, all that you're left with is to be a spectator. Sit back, watch the world pass you by. I think we all feel the expectations in all sorts of different ways of this identity-obsessed world. And we see and we feel that desperate search for significance all around us. And yet the irony is, we often feel so small and insignificant. That's how the world makes us feel. Perhaps some of that should help us understand maybe why social media has become such a phenomenon in our time. Because wherever you find an obsession with identity, there you will also find an obsession with recognition, approval, affirmation, and validation. There will always be a desire for others to validate our sense of identity, to validate who we feel that we are. We see it all around us. Validate my opinions, validate my views, validate my looks, validate my lifestyle, my choices, my existence, validate who I am. And why does it have to be so public? And why does it have to be so simple? Like, does the world really need one more selfie of someone's abs while they're up in the gym? Do we really need one more opinion post? Do we really need one more bathroom selfie? We get it. You're in your going out clothes. And all that just makes you ask, why does our search for identity and significance have to be made so public? I think it's this. I think it's because we all inherently know that real identity is something that's given to us. Real identity is something that's given to us. It's not something that you can create or fabricate on your own. It requires affirmation from the outside. Real identity is given to you. And we long for that outside voice to tell us that we are okay, we're accepted, we're validated, we matter which is often why it's so painful and difficult when you don't get it. That's why the words and the actions of others can so dramatically impact our sense of who we are. The way a father or a mother raised you, making you feel like you were just not good enough. And those words still echo in your mind and in your heart decades later. And you maybe haven't heard their voice in years. 
or maybe the way a spouse abandoned you and made you feel like you weren't worth sticking around for, or the rejection of a friend made you feel like you just weren't worth the time. And you struggled to shake that identity that was what? Given to you. So what does all that add up to? Well, maybe this morning you come here and in the end you just feel like you don't really amount to much. Or maybe you come and you're starting to realize the things that you hoped might offer you some value and some meaning in life just haven't turned out the way that you thought they would. Or given the amount of people in this room, it's almost a statistical certainty that some of you come in here thinking about whether or not this world might be better off without you. None of those things are true. My goal this morning is really simple. I want to tell you the story of your identity. I want to tell you who you really are. This psalm is one that helps reconnect the weary soul with who they really are. This psalm is one that wants to lead you beside the still waters of knowing why you exist and knowing the beauty of it. A couple weeks ago, after our first man time, I went home. And I got a text a little after 10 p.m. It was from Mike Murphy, my friend, a poet. And he said, brother, you're crazy if you don't take Melissa outside right now and check out the moon. Stop what you're doing. Step outside and look up. It's a pretty good invitation. And that's how I want you to see Psalm 8 this morning. It's David your friend, your poet, giving you an invitation to just stop, put aside whatever it is that you are doing in life. And he says to you, I want you to come outside with me. There's something I want you to see. David goes outside at night in a world with no light pollution and nothing to obscure his vision. Maybe it had been quite a while since he'd looked up because life had him so busy looking down. Maybe he'd had a terrible day. Maybe he'd had an awful week. Maybe he felt the same way about life the way you do right now. But he goes outside and he looks up and he sees the beauty and majesty and splendor of the night sky. He sees stars that seem to go on forever, countless in their number breathtaking in their beauty, perfectly still above this chaotic world. And he wants you to look up and behold the sheer magnitude and scale of the cosmos to reintroduce a little awe and wonder back into your life. Because he wants that awe and that wonder to make you ask those deeper questions of your existence. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you care for him? David feels how small he is in the grand scale of the cosmos. 
And he wants you to look up and feel the exact same way. He wants you to feel how small you are. And that may seem a little off-putting. It may feel a little counterintuitive. We just said, you know, we live in a world that makes us feel that way. We live in a world that constantly makes us feel small and insignificant. We don't like feeling that way. We want to feel big. We want to feel dynamic. We want to feel like we have influence and value. And yet, we feel small all the time. We feel incompetent as parents, replaceable in our jobs, unwanted, forgotten by others. That list could go on forever. But those are the moments that attack your sense of identity because in that moment when you feel small, your heart still asks that question, whether you're aware of it or not, who am I and what is my place in this world? And when we feel that way, what do we do? What happens? I think it's often the case. We cut God out of the equation. We don't factor God into that answer of who we are. Instead of going to him in those moments, we look elsewhere. And we try harder. We look to our careers. We look to our families, relationships. We look to our performance. We look to our appearance to establish who we feel that we need to be. We double down and focus on trying harder, producing more, looking better, changing our behavior, reinventing ourselves in whatever way we think is necessary to find our place and to give us back some measure of significance. But whenever we do that, what's really happening? What's really going on in your heart in those moments when you feel small and God gets factored out? We're actually flipping that verse around. And we're saying, what is God that I should be mindful of him? Who is God that I should care for him? And in that smallness and insignificance, we treat God as though he too were small and insignificant. Why? Because that's just the reality of how sin works. It's how it's worked from the very beginning. The fall is nothing more than man searching for significance and identity apart from God. Because Adam thought the same thing when he reached out for that piece of fruit. Who is God that I should be mindful of him? What is God that I should care for him? And he was factored out. So it's easy for us to point at the world in all the ways that it identifies these days, and yet is there any difference with us if we do not factor God into how we actively think of who we are? When we factor him out, are we not in the same boat with the same question, who is God, that I should be mindful of him? And in this psalm, David feels how small he is. But that's what drives him towards God. Not away. He feels, when he looks up, he feels that smallness amidst the grandeur of the cosmos. But he comes to a different conclusion. Because he doesn't feel insignificant. No, that's when he comes to know his significance. That's when he comes to know who he really is and he remembers his real identity. Because he brings God back into the equation of who he is. The issue for David is not that he feels small. Of course you feel small. 
You are small. The issue is where you go and what you do whenever you do feel small. And David would say, stop looking around at the world around you for those answers. When you feel small, why don't you ask your creator? What does your creator think of you? Why did he make you? And he says to the Lord that you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. So what's he doing? Where is he getting that language? Does that sound like your life? Doesn't feel like it, does it? And yet this is what David is saying as though it is as real as the air that he breathes. He's getting this because he's remembering the creation story. He's remembering God's original intention and purpose for humanity. And my friends, the creation story is not a children's story. It is the story of your significance, and it is the story of your real identity. Because when David looks up, he remembers the God that created those cosmos. He remembers the God that spoke all of that into being with the word of his power, all the stars, all the galaxies, the entire universe, with the ease and simplicity of a finger painting. It's the work of his fingers. Like hanging a mobile above his child's crib. He brought forth life and beauty and he filled the earth. But when God created man, he did something different. He actually came down to earth and he got his hands dirty. It says he sunk his fingers into the dirt, into the ground, into the dust, and he got to work. And the language that Genesis uses to describe this moment is the language of artistry. It's the language of a potter working with clay. God formed and he fashioned man, not just with his words. No, it was with his hands. He came and he got close to create a masterpiece, his Mona Lisa his Monet, his Van Gogh. And even though it is small, it is unlike anything else that he created. And when he was finished forming the man, he comes to the lifeless man. And he comes close. He gets face to face. And he breathes his life into his nostrils. And when Adam opens his eyes and he takes his first breath, the first thing he saw was the face of God shining with joy and delight and approval. But the story gets better. Because the first thing he hears God say is that everything that he sees, Adam, take a look around. Look high and look low. All that you see, all that I have created is yours. I have gift-wrapped the cosmos for you. And God gave him dominion and authority and power over all of creation. And he treats him like his son. It says he brings all the animals to Adam to see what he would name it. The way a daddy would bring home a puppy and say to his kids, what do you want to name it? And even though Adam is small, he's given a significance that far surpasses anything else that you will find in this universe. The biggest star in the sky has nothing compared to the grandeur with which God made 
man. And so when Genesis says that we were made in the image of God, what does that mean? The simplest and easiest way to think of it is that we were made to be kings and queens that rule and reign over the cosmos, crowned with glory and honor and dominion. That's an identity. So when David steps out among the stars, he remembers the God that created them, but he also remembers the God that created him. David is remembering God's original purpose and plans for us as his people, as his sons and daughters, divine royalty and all that he gave to us. David is finding his identity in the beautiful, gracious, creative purposes of God. He's remembering that he was made to be given those cosmos that he sees. He was made to be given and crowned with glory and honor. He was made to be given dominion and authority. And best of all, he was made to be given the fullness of God's presence. Where else in the world would he possibly find an identity that could possibly compare to that? Now, there's a part of you that's probably thinking, well, yeah, but what about the fall? Didn't sin enter the world. Certainly David remembers that part too, right? How can he be so confident? How can he be so certain? Maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm happy for David and all, but I don't feel very crowned with glory and honor in life right now. I do not feel like I have dominion over creation. I can't even get my calendar under control. So yeah, how can he be so confident in this broken world? Well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? That is the answer this world is looking for. How can he be so confident of who he is in this world that just wants to rob him of it? How can he be so confident in this world whenever sin wrecked shop and took all of those things away? How can he be so confident when sin marred us as the image of God and fractured us all the way down to our very souls? How can he be so confident when sin robs us of all that glory, all that honor, and all that dignity, and creation wars back and wages war against us? How can he be confident whenever we traded away the cosmos for a curse, whenever we gave up all dominion for death? How can he be so confident when sin separated us from God, unable to find him? And when we lost him, we lost everything he gave to us. And the reality of a broken world is that we are left to scrape out some identity in this world that will never come close to what we lost. So yeah, that's the million dollar question. How can David celebrate and be so confident in these things as though they are present realities while he's living in the same world as you and me. It's because when he looks up, he remembers his creator and he remembers that he is also a covenant God. If you look at verse 1, it opens with O Lord. And Lord is spelled in small caps, which means that David is using God's covenant name, Yahweh. That's how 
that name is represented in the scriptures. That's the name that God gave Moses so that Israel would know what to call him whenever he reintroduced himself and stepped back into their story. So what does using that name mean for David? That name represents the fact that for David, he knows that having that name means God is not done with us. Knowing that name represented the fact that even though we abandoned God, God, in the end, did not abandon us. Knowing that name meant that God had re-entered the human story. And he made promises to restore what was lost and to make all things new. And so David can look forward and hope that one day our true identity will be restored because having that name means that God himself has re-entered the human story to regain and reclaim what was lost. That's why David can have hope and confidence and embrace that truth as though it were a present reality because God stays true to his covenant promises. David looked forward in hope, and so can you, because you have seen the hope of David realized in the Lord Jesus Christ. In him, through him, God has restored all that was lost, and Psalm 8 even reminds us how he did it, and David didn't even know what he was writing. It's verse 2. It's out of, the mouths, or out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength to still the enemy and the avenger. David writes that because he's remembering how God first re-entered this human story. When God first began to make promises that he was going to restore all things and make all things new. What did he do? He started by going to Abraham and giving him an invitation. Said, I want you to come outside with me. There's something I want you to see. Count the stars if you are able. And so shall your descendants be. Old man, long beyond your childbearing years, so shall your descendants be. I'm going to restore all things and fill the earth with my glory by giving you a son, a baby. I'm going to use what is utterly insignificant and small and frail and weak and vulnerable in this world to reveal and display my power, my glory, and my goodness. Because this story starts with who I am and my identity and my grace and my goodness. And at the heart of that promise was Jesus, your creator, your covenant God, who would become that promised baby? The God who spoke the cosmos into existence became a baby. He became small and insignificant so that he, by his grace, might give back all that we traded away. And it's through Jesus' ministry, that you hear all of these echoes of the creation story, your story. And it reminds us that the gospel isn't just a story of redemption where something was done for you. It's also a story of restoration 
that restores all things that were lost. It's a story of reclamation where God reclaims what was taken away and what was lost to him. And it's a story of recreation where you are remade into the image of God once again in Christ. If you think about the ministry of Jesus through the terms of creation, then what does that make your story? Well, it means that you were born and you're born in your trespasses and sins. Which means that you were born lifeless and as dead as the dust of the earth. But what does Jesus say? He says, I formed and I fashioned you in your mother's womb. Before the foundations of the world, I called you by name. And you did not choose me. I chose you. You did not choose me. I chose you. Do you hear it? Do you hear this recreation story? Because in all of those things, Jesus is saying that when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, as dead as the dust of the earth, I sunk my fingers into your life, and I began to shape it and to mold it. I began to form and fashion your story and orchestrate all the events of your life, all your pleasure and all your pain to lead up to that one moment when I come to you in your life, close, face to face, and I breathe my spirit into your life, and the eyes of your heart are opened, and you see me for as I am, your Savior, your Creator, your God. I give you that spirit because I give back my presence to you to walk and talk with me. I give you that spirit to testify to you that you are once again a son and daughter of the Most High God. That spirit testifies to you that you are a co-heir with me. You will rule and reign over the cosmos. You will sit next to me on a throne as kings and queens of creation because all that I have, I give back to you. In me, you are restored. Now that's an identity. And so friends, are you tired of performance? Are you try- tired of trying to measure up? Tired of trying harder all the time? Trying to measure up to so many different things? You can stop. Because you never will. But know this, in Christ you are given an identity that's based on nothing that you have ever done and nothing you will ever do. Are you tired of loneliness or feeling forgotten, small in the eyes of others? In Christ you have been given the full attention of your God who desires to spend eternity with you but also desires to walk with you in this life each and every day in the mountaintops in the valley of the shadow of death why because you're his and he delights in you you tired of feeling like you have so little in this life that you hoped would have given you so much more in Christ you were crowned with glory and honor And no eye has seen, no ear has heard, or heart of man imagined what God has in store for you. And are you tired of feeling damaged? 
with a broke down body or one that's been marred and scarred by an abuser. In Christ, you will be given a new glorified body that is untouched by the pain in this world. And the best thing about that body is that you will be able to withstand the full, unmitigated, all-encompassing presence of your God. And he will come to you once again face to face and wipe away every tear from your eye. Christian, don't you know who you are in Christ? So tonight, I have an invitation for you. I want you to step outside, and I want you to take a quarter with you, if you own one. I want you to take a quarter, I want you to look up at the stars, and I want you to look down at this quarter, and I want you to look up at the stars, and then look back down at this quarter. I want you to do it long enough until you feel small. And I want you to imagine that if the distance between the earth and the sun was the width, the diameter of this quarter, 93 million miles, then the distance to the nearest star would be over two miles away. And based on the current technology that we have, it would take you over 75,000 years to get there. And if you go beyond that distance to the edge of this galaxy that we call home, this Milky Way, you'd have to go 50,000 miles in either direction. And in that expanse of space, you would find 400 billion stars in our galaxy alone. And outside of that, in distances that aren't even comprehensible to us, it is estimated that there are over two trillion galaxies. And so when you look at all that tonight and you think about that, when you feel small, I want you to remember this. I want you to know that you can say, all that belongs to me because I belong to him, body and soul. And that is the story of your real identity. That's who you really are. Let's pray.